0: Praise God. All right, we're going to continue our series that we're calling Miracles, God's Power to Change Your Life. And what we're doing is we're looking at categories of miracles in the Bible. There's different types of miracles, and so we want to know what does God do, because we know God can do anything, but God doesn't just do anything. Isn't it good to have kids in church? Yes, Amen. I, See a Cade. Anyway, uh, I love the sound of kids in church. Let me tell you how God can redeem things. When I was a a fairly new Christian, I went to a church. I was living in Illinois at the time, going to graduate school. And uh, there was a lady in the congregation that had the shrillest, loudest, like just a little off kind of voice. You know, if you heard people like that. And, uh, you know, it kind of made your head turn a little bit. And uh, one time she was sitting right directly behind me. Like right there. And I didn't know who she was. And so I thought, I'm going to peek and see who this is so that I can sit away from her in the future. Because I'm a kind-hearted person. and I, I don't want to think negative thoughts, so I figured I'd sit somewhere else. So... uh I took a little peek. Actually, she was over here. I took a little peek behind me, and here's a little lady, probably about 60, sort of heavy set, singing with her arms in the air and tears coming down her face, and her eyes are closed, and she's just loving on Jesus. And I thought, that is a beautiful sound. That's the sound of someone who's in love with the Lord. I thought, that is fantastic. And so I listened for her the whole rest of the time that I was living down there. Just the, And any time I would hear that shrill, off, loud voice, I thought, there's someone loving the Lord right now. We sh- God loves that. And it's the same thing with kids. That's the sound of a child being raised in a Christian home in the support system of a loving church. What a wonderful sound that is. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So it's good to have kids in church. Praise God. We're on miracles. God's power to change your life. And we've looked at a a few different categories of miracles. We looked at the Apostle Paul and his experience on the road to Damascus. Where Jesus appeared to him in a vision. Knocked him to the ground and changed the course of his life. God will intervene in people's lives, take them off of one path and put them on another like he did with the Apostle Paul. That's being born again, going from a life of destruction that ends in destruction to a life of being a blessing that finishes with everlasting life. That's being born again. And we talked about the miracle of the heart change, how God changes us from the inside. We talked about baptism in the Holy Spirit and how we can be immersed in the Spirit of God, not in a critical spirit, not in a judgmental spirit, a prideful spirit, not in a depressed or anxious spirit, a timid spirit, but we have been given a spirit that is typified by the fruits of the Spirit. And we read about that in Galatians 5, and 23. Let's just read through that again, because here's the deal. The promise is, is this can be our heart condition. That it's not just something we read about, but this is something we can have ourselves. And if you're like me, it's a battle. And sometimes you're there, and sometimes you're not, and you're trying to apprehend more and more. And this is the heart that God puts on us. But we have to receive it. And again, it's, it's a battle. We keep after it. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And so, what would the world be like if every Christian could be described in that way. That's the heart, full of the fruit of the Spirit. It's a contradiction to have an ugly-hearted Christian. It just, it doesn't make any sense, and that's why the world reacts so strongly against that. It's because it doesn't make any sense. It's a very destructive thing. So we need to, Grab hold of the Holy Spirit and have a right spirit within us. Last week we talked about visions, dreams, and the still small voice, that God will communicate with people through visions, dreams, and the still small voice. Visions and dreams are still for today, but they're fairly rare. The common way that God communicates with people is the still, small voice, to be spirit-led. That's why we pray for the offering for God to lead us, and we want to learn how to be led by the Lord. Uh, I asked the question last week, who wants to hear from God? And hands went up. Who needs to hear from God? It It was the most response I've ever gotten when I've asked a question. Hands went up everywhere. Maybe we'll do a series on it eventually and try to grab hold of what it is that, you know, the best practices for trying to hear from the Lord. But we gave four keys last week. Number one, be honest. No faking stuff. Don't pretend you're hearing something when you're not. Don't just do what you're cued by the group to do. Just be honest. Then be obedient. If God shows you to do something, go ahead and do it. Third one, learn to distinguish your inner voice from God's voice. And the last one, don't make fun of people who are trying to hear from God. Very important stuff in order to be able to grow and develop in that way. This week, we're going to talk about dealing with the demonic. Dealing with the demonic. Are you feeling good today? Woo! We're going to have fun talking about this particular subject. But you know what? The... uh, The demonic, uh, unclean spirits, things like that, very, very common in the scriptures. And so let's look into that a little bit this morning. Let's pray before we get into the new material. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord, for each one that's here. I thank you, Lord, that you have a plan for the next half hour. You've got things you want to do in our hearts. And Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would make that happen. Lord, each one of us needs a different answer from you. We need a different bit of empowerment. We need a different bit of understanding. We need a different bit of encouragement because we're going through different things. And so, Lord, I pray by your spirit you would be able to touch each one of us with what we need this morning. Bless our time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Dealing with the demonic. Stupor. All right. All right. Before we get into this, I want to talk about three things that we're not going to do. Because it's important to know what we're not going to do, uh, especially with topics like this. The first one we're not going to do is we're not going to pretend that Hollywood is real. Okay? Hollywood is not real. If what you know about the demonic you have learned from movies, just forget it. Okay? Set it aside because that's not real. That's sensationalism. Uh, it's, It's just stuff that... Uh, is meant to draw an audience, and so that's not what we're looking to, to do, is to uh, is to think that is real. The next thing we're going to do, or not do, is we're not going to stoke paranoid fear-mongering. Uh, isn't that a good thing to not do? Let's not stoke paranoid fear-mongering. Is there a demon behind every door? No, let's just relax, okay? It seems like there's two ditches. There's people who completely ignore things of the spirit world, and there's people that think absolutely everything has some hyper-spiritual connotation. Well, the truth is in the middle. It's, it's not either edge. So we're not going to get all paranoid and, you know, like, oh no, there's a demon in this Velcro. Or, you know, not at all. It's, it's just not like that. So we're not going to stoke paranoid fear-mongering, and then we're not going to be blind to the reality that there is a spirit world and there are things going on. So we're not going to do blind denial either. We need to find the truth, get on the middle of the road, and see what we can grab hold of. And here's the truth. The truth is that there is a spirit world. Did you know that? There is a spirit world. And in the spirit world, there is good and there is evil. All right? In the spirit world, there is good and there is evil. And now we're going to get into some deep theology that you must grab hold of this morning. And here it is. God is good. The devil is bad. Okay? Are you with me? God is good. The devil is bad is very, very important because people can actually get confused on that, a higher percentage than what you would think, because they think the person that's hurt them is God, and they think the person that will help them is the devil, and that is a lie. God is good, the devil is bad, and the spiritual forces that are with God are good, that would be the angels, and the spiritual forces that are with the devil are bad, and that would be the demons. So God is good, the angels are good, the devil is bad, and unclean spirits, foul spirits, or demons are bad. You with me? Now people are a lot more confusing because they can go either way. Right? Demons are just bad. Angels are just good. People go both ways. So that's where it gets complicated. Depends on who we yield to. Depends on on who we believe in. So, Jesus dealt with evil spiritual forces quite a bit. Uh, And it was a very common thing in the day. You know how today we have dentists and chiropractors and colleges and, you know, all these sorts of things? Car dealerships. They had, you know, like, place. They had all those things. A little different in their culture. Uh, you know, because they had animals instead of cars. But they also had people who would drive out dark spirits. You know, if if you had a severe anxiety, you'd go to the person who drove out unclean spirits. And it was a normal part of their culture. And uh, here's a question. If the biblical understanding of spiritual reality differs from our current culture's understanding of the spiritual reality, which one is accurate and which one is off. Don't be fooled into thinking that we've understood the mythology of the Bible and brought ourselves into a better understanding of reality than what the Bible had. We've strayed from understanding what's going on. The the demons aren't gone. They're still on the earth. It's all still real. We just have to see it. We have to understand it. And so let's read a section of scripture where Jesus casts out uh, an unclean spirit Matthew 12, verses 22 through 28. Let's read through this. Then they brought him a demon possessed man who was blind and mute. So this was a demon possessed man, and the demon caused blindness and the inability to talk. That's interesting. If you were blind and unable to speak, would you be diagnosed with a demon today? No, zero in in the United States, not going to happen. However, clearly there are demons that cause physical problems. And Jesus healed him. So something that I found very interesting in the scriptures was there wasn't a real sharp line between deliverance and healing. You know, deliverance would be solving the spiritual problem. Healing would be solving the physical problem. So they're, they're all kind of mixed together. Really interesting. You know, we like nice, sharp, clean lines. I didn't see nice, sharp, clean lines when I looked at it. So here we have a demon-possessed man, and Jesus heals him. We would use the word healed talking about a physical problem rather than a spiritual problem. But this is the Bible. The Bible wins. Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? They're wondering if he's the Messiah. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. So Jesus is getting flack. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So here's the deal. They were driving out demons too. And Jesus is driving out demons. It was the common practice. So then they will be your judges. Verse 28. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And so, it's interesting to see that when Jesus is driving out demons, the people who are criticizing him in the religious world, the Pharisees, the legalistic ones, they did not say there wasn't a demon. They did not say that Jesus didn't drive it out. The thing they questioned was, where's the source of your power to do this? That was the question. And so it wasn't wondering if there were these spiritual forces at play. It was just wondering, where are you getting your power from? Are you getting your power from God or from something else? Now, that's an important question. But, of course, Jesus received his power from the living God. Now, not every power... This demon caused blindness and the inability to speak. Two things that don't normally go together... But uh, that's what this demon did. There are other types of demons. Let's go to Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 18. This is the Apostle Paul dealing with a particular problem. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. So here's a demon that gives an ability. The ability to predict the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. So this is a an evil spirit that gave a slave girl the ability to tell people things about their future, and it was a business. The girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. That sounds pretty nice, doesn't it? However, it was done in a heckling manner. Let's go to verse 18 and read the beginning of that. She kept this up for many days. Okay, so... What if there was somebody in the back of the church that said, there's Pastor Mike, he's preaching the Word of God. There's Pastor Mike, he's teaching you the things in the Bible. And did that for many days. And did it very loudly. And in a sarcastic tone. Would that be helpful? No, that's a problem. So even though the truth was being spoken, it was not helpful. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. A couple weeks, we'll talk about the the ramifications of this particular miracle uh, because Paul had a little bit of a battle in front of him after that happened. So this is interesting. One demon hampers a person, created blindness and the inability to speak. Another uh, demon gave a fortune teller power. There's an interesting variety in the spiritual world. So we only see a little bit of it. Some people understand these things better than I do, but I know this, there's a lot more going on than what we see. There's a lot more happening than what we understand. And there's a lot of variety. Uh, You know, look at these different types of dark spiritual forces. Now, does that make you nervous? Thinking, oh, there's a lot more icky spiritual stuff going on than what I maybe thought. Let me help you with that. Jesus wins, okay? (laughs) Jesus wins. And in fact, we'll talk about this in a little bit, Jesus has already won. The victory has already been won. And so we don't need to be afraid because some people have the misunderstanding that God and the devil are duking it out, and we're sort of hoping, you know, we're cheering for God. Well, here's the deal the devil is not equal with God, God is supreme, and the devil is a created being way underneath God. It's not a fair fight, it's not close. God wins. And God's power is stronger, and we don't have to worry about that. We're not wondering who's going to come out on top. Jesus has defeated the devil already. And so we don't need to be afraid. In fact, fear is one of the things that Satan will use to hold you down because he knows if you stand in faith, he's done. He's got to keep you in fear to have power over you. So, next important point. You are in the middle of a spiritual battle whether you want to be or not. You don't get to choose that. It's sort of like you're a farmer in uh, France in World War II. You want to grow your pumpkins. You want to milk your cow. But here come the Nazis. Right? Ugh. And now here come the allies. And there's firefights going on in your field. And they're hiding behind your stone fence. You know, and and the tanks are rolling through. You don't get to pick whether or not you're involved in spiritual battles. We are on the battlefield. The war is waging. We don't get to choose. Now... Uh Here's it so that's key point you are in a spiritual battle. Some people seem to think that Satan can't mess with believers. S- Did you know Satan attacked Jesus himself when he was on the earth? Brought temptation, you know, tried to mess him up, specifically attacked Jesus. Satan uh attacked Peter, just like Job. Remember the story of Job? How Satan said, hey, I want to mess up Job. And Satan was allowed to do that. Satan did the same thing with Peter and the apostles. Let's read that in Luke chapter 22, 31 and 32. Simon, Simon. So Jesus is talking about how they're all going to fall away and all this bad stuff. It's right before the crucifixion. Simon, who is Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. So, isn't that amazing? Satan has asked. Satan asked to mess with Job. Satan asked to mess with the disciples. Who's in control? God is. However, guess what? God is letting this happen. The spiritual battle. You read in Revelation how... uh, The devil gets bound for a thousand years. You know what happens after that thousand years? They let him go. (laughs) God could bind Satan right now and we'd just be done. We have to fight. We've been put in an arena to fight. God's testing us. Will we fight? Will we crumble? Who are we? Will we grow? Will we overcome or will we fail? He's put us in this battle. Jesus says though, but I have prayed for you. You know, there's a promise that the Lord is there interceding for us. That Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. He prays for us just like he prayed for Peter. And he is rooting for us, interceding for us, bringing us up. Jesus says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So Jesus is saying to Peter, you're going to fall. You're going to deny me. You're going to run away. And guess what? You're going to come back. And when you come back, you strengthen your brothers. Because I've prayed for you. I believe in you. You're going to make it. Don't get too scared. And Peter had no idea it was all going to happen. Then it all happened that way. And... Peter became a pillar of the church. Satan attacked Peter. Paul warns the church in Corinth about Satan's schemes in 2 Corinthians 2 10 and 11. 2 Corinthians 2 10 and 11. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. They had to do church discipline. And so now it's time for the discipline to be over and for forgiveness to come in and restoration. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him that I is Paul. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his scheme. So what's Satan's scheme in the church to destroy the church in Corinth? To have unforgiveness and bitterness between people. That's not a personality conflict problem. It's a Satan problem. Isn't that something? This is dark, evil spiritual forces Pitting people against each other, and when they don't recognize that, they fall for it, and instead of hating the enemy, they hate their brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a a mean, evil scheme, but it's amazingly effective. Let's be not unaware of his schemes. So, as believers, we are still in the middle of a spiritual battle. And so we need to recognize this is the case. Church strife can be a spiritual battle. All these things can be spiritual battles. So Satan asked to sift Peter as wheat. The thing that Peter was plagued with was fear. It was satanic fear. So we've got all these different things that the enemy can put in us. So, you're in a spiritual battle if you want to be or not. Here's the deal. Followers of Christ are not powerless in that battle. Did you know you're not powerless in that battle? Who's stronger, God or Satan? God. Is it close? No. So, if we're on God's team, we're not powerless. You know what I'm saying? Like, we might be on the bench, but guess what? On our like if, if this was the NBA finals. You know, we've got God is the center, you know, the power forward is Jesus, you know, the guard is the Holy Spirit, and we're on the bench, you know, cheering. Maybe we can put in the game a little bit here and there. But we're gonna win because we've got better players. We are not powerless in this battle. And if you know you're not powerless, then you can stand in faith. If you think you're powerless, you'll be fooled by the devil into thinking that you're in real trouble. But let's magnify the Lord and not magnify the enemy. We magnify the Lord. Let's read James 4.7, an incredible verse if you believe it. James 4.7 Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Is this true? Amen. It's in the Bible. So, do you have the ability to make the devil flee? You do. On your own? If you submit to God, and you're standing under God's authority, then you have the ability, because you're under God's authority, to make the devil flee. Now, on your own, you're in trouble. With God's power, you're in good shape. Two important things there. Submit to God, vitally important, resist the devil. You must do both. When we submit to God, we join the army. I started going to church because I wanted to enlist in God's army. I found out the, the title, the, the church name or whatever, the Salvation Army was already taken. I thought that'd be a great the Salvation Army. Salvation Army. And I'm like, oh, there's already, they have, they have the name already. Like, oh, darn, you know, like, uh, 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 that's a great name. Let's take the land, the Salvation Army, come on. I showed up to church to join the army. It wasn't, I didn't have a personal need or whatever. And, and I was talking to some people about that. They were sort of surprised because that wasn't their experience for why they go to church. But That's why I'm here. I came to join up, to enlist, to fight the good fight. Now here's the deal when you enlist in God's army there is authority from you from God I'm sorry when you enlist in God's army there's authority from God that's transferred onto you If you are in the United States military and you are on foreign soil are you there alone No you have a backing which is the United States of America When we enlist in God's army we have a backing which is the Alpha and the Omega, Jehovah God behind us, empowering us, protecting us, strengthening us. We see this transfer in Matthew 10:1. There's other examples. We'll just read this quick. Matthew 10:1. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. So, Jesus has this authority, and he gave it to his disciples. And then when we get into the the James 4, 7, we see it's been transferred not just to the 12, but to the believers in Corinth, that they can resist the devil, and that the devil will flee. And then that means that it's been transferred to us too. It's been transferred to the regular church people. Hallelujah for that. There's a transfer of authority from God to the person who has submitted to God. Now, to those who have not submitted to God, that transfer of authority has not happened. Acts 19, 13 through 16 is my favorite example of this. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. Are these Christians who are invoking the name of the Lord? No, not Christians. So they have not submitted to God. They would say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. <laughs> Seven sons of Shiva, a, Jew, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Isn't that interesting? The, the demon knew Jesus and knew about Paul, And said, but who are you? Who's standing behind you? Where's your authority come from? Verse 16. Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Submit yourselves to God. That is very, very important. Now truly submit yourselves to God. Many people who consider themselves to be Christians haven't submitted themselves to God. Uh, They just want God to help them out. And that's what we call an inverted relationship with God. If you want God to do things for you, you want to be in control of God and get Him to help you out. That means that you want God to serve you. Is that how it's supposed to work? No. We serve the Lord. And so we submit ourselves. We put ourselves under God. We let him tell us what he wants us to do. We don't tell him what we want him to do. Submit yourselves to God. Very, very important. So we need to submit to God. Then, after we have submitted to God, we need to resist the devil. Who resists the devil? We do. It doesn't say submit to God and then ask God to deal with your devil problem. Submit to God. You will have authority transferred to you and then you are on the battlefield and you fight and you battle that's a great ringtone that is awesome. <laughs> I've got a cough I got the cough thing on my phone now it coughs and so then if I'm in a situation like this I you know I just go like that and pretend it's all <laughs> you know it all works out fine I think I'm going to get the bouncy ball one though that's awesome that's a good one so Now it's our job to resist the devil. We are on the battlefield. God has set it up that way. Wouldn't it be nice if it wasn't that way? But that's how God has set it up. And so we need to learn to fight. So we have to do the resisting. We are the ones who are told to resist the devil. How do you do that? I'm going to teach you how to resist the devil in... Four simple words. You ready? Shut up. Get out. All right? Shut up. Don't, don't sit and have a conversation. Don't, you know, you got something going on in your heart. You're getting fooled into the bitterness thing that the Corinthian church was dealing with, the unforgiveness thing. And you think, well, they, but they and they and, blah, and this is wrong. Blah, blah. Shut up get out. Spirit of love come in. Spirit of peace come in. Push that out. And more people than I really would have expected deal with actual tangible experiences with the demonic. When you have a tangible experience, or your kids do, shut up. Get out. Just that simple. Don't interact with them. Shut up. Get out. It's not about volume. It's about standing in the authority that's given by God. His followers have authority from him to resist the devil and make him flee. It's about that authority that's been given to us and our faith in that authority. Satan will try to scare you, Satan will try to scare your kids. Shut up. Get out. We, uh, Celia's testimony is online somewhere. I should probably help people find out how to get that. But uh, her little girls were having problems. We taught them how to deal with it. They succeeded. Here's something I can't think of an example where this hasn't worked. I've prayed for healing for so many people, some get healed. I've never had shut up, get out, not work. I'm gonna invite the prayer teams up. We're gonna close here in just a minute. This spiritual battle, it's not just defensive. We're not just being attacked by the devil and we have to try to defend ourselves. Go away. This is also offensive. The, the scriptures talk about how upon this rock I will build my church, Jesus said to Peter, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. What that means is we can reach into death itself and pluck people out of the flames and bring them into everlasting life. We are to go on offense as well as be smart enough to be able to defend ourselves. This battle is the sort of thing that we fight But understand, Satan is a defeated foe. The cross has defeated him. Satan has been defeated. The cross is sufficient to disarm the enemy. And his future is destruction. There is a place prepared for him. And it's not a good place. And he will be there for eternity. Right now we are in that battle. Satan's future is destruction. And he knows it. Your future, if you have submitted yourself to God, is not destruction. The cross defeated Satan, but the cross did something different for you. The cross has not defeated you, but given you the victory. The cross has taken away your failures and sins, the cross has given you new life choose to follow Christ into resurrection and everlasting life submit yourselves to God and truly do so as we pray as we close I want you to ask this question in your heart where is the battle raging for me If we're in a spiritual battle, there's a front line where we make advances and where we get knocked back. Each one of us, there's a front line somewhere. We need to know where that line is so that we can focus our energy and fight the right ways. Let's ask the Lord, where's the front line for me in the spiritual battle? And let's believe God for the victory. So let's close. Let's pray along those lines. Then I'll invite people up for personal prayer. Heavenly Father, we honor you and we worship you. We thank you, Lord, that we don't have to fight in our own strength. That we don't stand alone, but we stand under your authority, under your strength, with your seal upon us. And that all the forces of darkness can see that. And they have to bow to it. So we give you praise, Lord, that we are not alone, but we fight under your authority. Lord, show us this morning where the front line is in the spiritual battle for us personally, for each one of us individually. Where is the front line of that battle? Where do we need to not be deceived by the enemy and fooled by his schemes? Where do we need to stand our ground and say, get out? Where do we fight? Let us see, Lord. Help us to understand so that we aren't fooled, so that we don't get carried away into the wrong things. Because we know, Lord, your power is sufficient for us to grab the victory. It has been taken care of, it is finished. And so, Lord, let us grab hold of your power and show us your wisdom that we may fight and win. Lord, I pray a blessing over each person that's in this place. Lord, I pray your strength would be with us. Pray your spirit would well up within us. And Lord, that your light would shine through us into this world so bright that it would spread to every nook and cranny of this area. Lord, that great revival would come. Let it be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.